podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, this morning to the book of Matthew chapter 3. Hey, by the way, isn't it amazing that we have got a full deck of preachers and speakers in this house? Are you kidding me? I mean, Jordan and Sarah, by the way, is Sarah here today? Oh, that's right. She comes back. I I hope she listens to this because Jordan and Sarah and Aaron Brown did an absolutely phenomenal job in Sabbath month. Yeah, give them a good hand, you guys. They did an incredible job. We listened to the messages on our 17-hour drive back from California, and I was blessed, I was strengthened, I was ministered to, and I was actually inspired for today's message by a phrase that Sarah Kinnearum used in her message that I've never seen. And when she said this phrase, it literally caused light to come on. Revelation entered in. And so I'm gonna pray, we're gonna jump in. You guys are like, what was it? I'll tell you. Father, today we ask for the help and the ministry of your Holy Spirit to illuminate, inspire, to convict, to correct, and to help us to live out our calling as the Imago Dei sons and daughters that you have created and called us to be in Jesus' name, amen. Sarah used this phrase, she said that Sabbath is sonship. How many of you guys remember her saying that? She kind of just snuck it in there and she kept going. By the way, I think that she was so endearing. She was one of just the most endearing. Her personality was so endearing to me. And Sarah, when you listen to this message, I want you to know that's your first of many times standing on this stage and beyond. And yes, did you hear that? You hear that, Sarah? Like they are cheering you on. I hope you're hearing that. And I hope you feel so validated and encouraged because the Lord has given you a voice and a message to share. And I say that as well for Jordan, for Aaron. You guys are phenomenal gifts to this house and beyond. She said Sabbath is sonship. And when she said that, it just, it reframed Sabbath and it reframed sonship for me. Uh, Jonathan and I actually months ago, we had in our docket to start a new series today. And I I actually appealed to him. I said, I'd like the opportunity to do a one-off message today and we can start our new series the following week. So let me give you a couple thoughts on this idea that Sabbath is sonship. Number one, I wanna start, I wanna speak on this because I want us to not fall into this rut or this idea of thinking that Sabbath is just in July. Oh, that's Sabbath month, now let's get back, let's get back to being slaves. That was Sabbath month, let's go back to being robots. Let's go back to being, you know, dehumanized. No, Sabbath is a life that God has called us into. It is a foretaste, like Jordan said, of the good life to come. It is a reflection of what God has created us to be. And so when when Sarah says things like Sabbath is sonship, uh, what that speaks to me is that Sabbath is a way of life that flows out of our revelation of who God is as a good father and who we are as sons and daughters, all right? So here's just a couple of thoughts. Who is the ultimate son? Who's the ultimate son? Jesus. So if we're gonna say something like Sabbath is sonship, there's gotta be some connection and correlation to who Jesus is as it relates to his walking of Sabbath out. And there's a lot of places that we can go today and beyond that we're not, but I wanna, I wanna whet your appetite for things for you to think about for the future. Let's go to Matthew chapter three, verse 17. Those of you who are in the sonship class, you know that this is our cornerstone verse 
for our understanding of sonship. Matthew chapter three, verse 17, Jesus is going and submitting himself to the earthly authority that is there, John the Baptist. He goes to be baptized by John the Baptist, by the commission and the command of God. He goes underneath the waters and he comes out and in verse 17, it says, a voice from heaven said, this is my son. Now for you females, I want you to know that son is, it's, it's gender neutral in the New Testament. So when you hear me say son or sonship, I am emphatically, and I will, I will be very diligent to also say daughters and, and daughterhood because sonship is not gender specific. Sonship and daughterhood is our reality. It is who we were created to be. The primary vehicle of, of relation that God has created for us to operate in is the, the relationship of sons and daughters to a loving God. That is our primary relationship to God that he has created us to function in. And he shows us this model in Jesus, his very own son. This is my son. Number two, whom I love. Now, some translations say in the New, New Revised Standard Version says, this is my son. And it says this, the beloved, the beloved. This is not just a son who I love. Who he is and who you are is one who is so deeply loved that your new identity and your new title is the one who is beloved. That is, that is your title. That is your title. That is your title written in the heavens and that is your title written in the earth. And all of life is a journey of us living into a revelation and a reality that we are so deeply beloved that nothing will separate us from the love of God. No sin, no mistake, no shame, no guilt, no regret, no fear will separate us from the love of God. It is greater than all the powerful forces of heaven and hell. And God sent his very best to say, I have written on you that you are my son and my daughter. Now, those of you who are biological moms and dads, think about it. Think about it. There is nothing that you, there is no length that you would not go to, to rescue, to fight for your son or your daughter. You know this, I know this. And how much more? How much more? I mean, the scripture says this, Jesus says this, if then you being evil, and we don't like to think of ourselves as evil, but he recognizes the seed of sin, which is evilness, is in you. And if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. What's the next phrase he says? How much more? We think we love things in this earth. We think that we have some sense of selflessness. We think that we would sacrifice. We think that we would persevere or go the distance. And the, one of my favorite phrases in all the gospels is how much more, which means it is absolutely limitless. It is infinite. We cannot measure how much more. We cannot measure how much more. So when God says, you think that you would give good gifts to your children, how much more? And whatever you think that you would do for your sons or daughters, I want you to know that it's just a drop in the ocean compared to what I have done and what I'm committed to doing for the rest of eternity. Sabbath is sonship. So what we experience in Sabbath, the rest, the ceasing of our labor and our striving, the ceasing from putting our identity and our production and our performance, what we taste right there is what Jesus lived every day of his life. Think about that. And what we get to taste, the, the gift of Sabbath that God invites us to taste on a weekly basis and on a, on a yearly basis, that's what Jesus has lived in throughout all of eternity. He has lived in the delight of the Father. He has lived, delight in God spilled out of him everywhere that he went. That's why he was so attractive. 
Because everywhere he went, people recognize there's something different on you. Now, in our, in our post-charismatic world, we, we like to go, it's because he was so powerful. It's because he was so charismatic. It was because he was so anointed. And that might be a part of it. But I'm wondering if it's because he was so saturated in the delight of God. It's because, because living in God produced such joy inside of him. Yeah, there were miracles that flowed, but they overflowed out of their delight in God. Miracles are just a result of the delight of God flowing out of us. Healing is just a result of the delight of God flowing out of us. Ministry is just a result of the delight of God flowing out of us. And Jesus lived in Sabbath everywhere he went, although he was working. And physically, he did get tired. He was working from that place of living in Sabbath rest in God. Now, because I don't have a lot of time, I want to give you just a couple of very, very quick thoughts. Sabbath... So we said that Jesus lives in Sabbath, which means he was living in absolute submission and living in absolute surrender to the Father at all times. Okay, so think about these thoughts very quickly. If Sabbath realigns us, because that's what Sabbath does, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Sabbath realigns us. It realigns our rhythms, it realigns our emotions, it realigns our bodies. We experience this sense of, you know, things that were out of kilter, they're getting realigned. Jesus never needed realignment. He lived in perfect alignment all the time. Jesus is Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath allows us to taste a sense of fulfillment and delight in God. It invites us to delight in God. There was never a moment when Jesus did not delight in the Father, even when he was on the cross. He perpetually took delight. He reveled in the delight of God. Life in God flows from you tasting and seeing that the Father delights in you. Christianity doesn't really even begin until we begin to taste of the goodness of God, taste of how much he delights over us. Sabbath humanizes us. Jonathan preached on this before we went into Sabbath, but I want you to think about this. Jesus is the ultimate human. So where Sabbath makes us human again, Jesus shows us what the ultimate human looks like. He shows us this is what my original intention for the Imago Dei has always been. The New Testament tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that Jesus is the image of God. We were just made in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. He is the ultimate total human. We're just humans trying to become humans. He is the ultimate human. And so as we live in Sabbath, listen, as we live in Sabbath, as we live as sons and daughters, delighting in the goodness of God, tasting and receiving the goodness of the love of the Father, we become more human. It's his love that humanizes us. All right, now, very quickly, I gotta get into this. Number one, when we respond to God's invitation into sonship and Sabbath, it does a number of things. Number one, number one, it invites us into intimacy. Sons and daughters do not run from their fathers. In Genesis chapter three, verse seven, when Adam and Eve sinned, and I've got to, I I just stumbled upon something this week that I've got to unpack a little bit more because I've never seen this before. And I've looked at that verse literally, literally hundreds of times. But in Genesis chapter three, what we find, if you can see on the screen, verse seven, what we find is that Adam and Eve are hiding, but in at the end of chapter two, it says they were naked and they were not ashamed. They were naked. They were innocent. They were pure. They, 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 They took delight in who God is 
And they took no consideration that there might be even anything impure about their innocence and their nakedness. They were unashamed. And then sin produces shame inside of them. And when God says, where were you? Where were you? I was looking for you. I'm always pursuing you. I'm always concerned about your state, not because I'm trying to lord it over you, because I am concerned about the nature of the intimacy of our relationship. God is always pursuing intimacy in the relationship. And here's what they said. We were afraid because we realized we were naked. Wait a minute. What is that? We were afraid because we realized we were naked. Something that was good and pure and pleasant prior to sin entering in now became the very thing that drove them away from God. And they bought into a lie and they bought into a narrative because you've always been naked. You've always been naked. And here's the word that you need to hear today. This is the word that you need to hear. There is nothing that is so shameful that you and I do by commission or omission. Another way of saying that is, there is nothing that is so ugly and so sinful and so shameful that will ever cause the father to say, I'm so ashamed of you, I don't want anything to do with you. Nothing, 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 absolutely nothing. The father is here to tell you today that all of the things that you put upon yourself, I should be this, I should do this, I should read more, I should pray more, I should go more, I should be better, I should know better, I should be further along than I am. The Father is saying to you that there is nothing that you are doing or not doing that is so shameful that would keep him from pursuing intimacy with you. And when we have areas of darkness and sin in our life, what does it cause us to do? It causes us to run and we are not Sabbathing any longer. Think about this. When you are resting in the love of God, you can be seen. You, you guys got to catch this. When you are trusting in the steadfastness of God's love, you can be seen, good and bad. You can be seen. You can be seen. You can be seen. You're not hiding your mistakes. You're not dodging. You're not evading. You're not avoiding. You can be seen. Yes, I'm not quite up to speed there, but you love me. Yes, I thought I'd be further along by 42 years old or 48 or 49 or 60. Or yes, I was in ministry, but I'm not anymore. Fill in the blanks, but you can say, God, you love me. I'm, I'm totally and absolutely loved and validated and accepted and cared for. And you are passionately pursuing my heart and I don't have to hide from you. You need to hear this. Sons and daughters do not hide. They draw near. Okay, number two, sons and daughters do not prove. Sons and daughters do not prove. When you are living in Sabbath rest, there's nothing for you to prove. So if, if I can clarify this, when we, when we respond to the love of the Father in the spirit of sonship and daughterhood, we enter into that rest of God that allows us to cease striving and performing and proving. Now think about this. In Matthew chapter three, verse 17, Jesus comes out of the water and remember what the father says. This is my son, whom I, and look, look, look at the Holy Ghost to draw him, in whom I am well. No miracles, no preaching, no breaking of the bread, no feeding of the 5,000, no casting out demons. You ain't done a thing yet. And the father says, I am absolutely mad about you. I am crazy, but I am so pleased that you are mine. And the example that I like to use, I'm gonna use this, you know, human moms and dads, before that baby ever, in fact, all that baby did was keep you up at night, poop all over their clothes, sometimes poop on you, okay? And, all, and you, were you were stricken. You were love stricken. They never did a thing. They never cleaned their room, still ain't cleaning their room, and you love them, right? You're just, you're just madly, sickly in love with them. And that's what the father is saying. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. 
What did the father say? This is my, now look at Matthew chapter four. Brittany, would you go to four verse one with me real quick? (laughs) Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Tempted by the devil. Which tells me that the enemy will always listen. You need to understand this, guys, and this is why I want particularly our youth and our young adults to hear this. The enemy will always try to convince you of the exact opposite of what the Father has already spoken over you. And this is where labor, this is, this is where that striving comes in, okay? How do we enter into sonship and Sabbath rest? It's when we put our absolute confidence in what the voice of the Father has said. The voice of the culture says, if, you need to be, if, if you're gonna be a man, you need to man up, right? If you're gonna be a man, you gotta be stronger. Man never cry. You gotta go hunt. You gotta be a baller. You gotta have the nice car. You gotta get rims. You gotta put them 22s on there. You gotta, whatever it is, like whatever narrative. If you gotta be a woman, you gotta look like this. You gotta do those things, right? Now we can derive our identity from what the culture says, what a pastor, parent, teacher, friend, spouse, ex-spouse, boyfriend, ex-lover. We can try to, but when we enter into rest when we put our absolute confidence in who we are and what the voice of the Father says. Because the father didn't tell me I have to do all that. I've never hunted before. I am still a beloved son of God and I'm a man. Right? I gotta prove anything to you. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me today? And, and we can throw all of our all of our social cultural you know, stereotypes on there. We, we enter into rest when we say, I am not going to allow my value or my love or my identity to be built or based on anything else but who the Father says that I am and what the Father says about me. Because here's what the enemy says. Father says, this is my son. What does the enemy say? If you really are the son of God. The Father just told me I'm his son, but are you really? If you are, prove it. Prove it. Prove it. Now, for those of you guys who are little, you know, Bible nerds, I want you guys to do a little study in the Gospels. And I want you to just do a little study on how many times people tried to get Jesus to prove things. I, I, just, I just did a little, okay, in Matthew chapter four, the enemy gets Jesus to try to prove himself. Make these stones bread, okay? In John chapter two, his mother is trying to get him to prove himself, okay? Turn, turn this water into wine. Jesus, he's like, what does he say? It's not my time. Sons and daughters can be at rest in their timing, Sons and daughters, why? Because you don't have anything to prove. You don't have anything to prove. I don't have to be a bestseller right now. I don't have to be a mega church pastor right now. I don't have to be on the road right now. I don't have to be on the, on the conference circuit right now. Why? Because my timing is in the Lord's hands and I trust him and he's a good father. And I'm exactly where he wants me to be because my, my home is in the father's heart. And as long as I'm at home in the Father's heart, as I'm growing and maturing in Him, He'll put me where I need to be when I need to be there. And I ain't got nothing to prove to anybody, not myself, not my dad, not my spiritual dad, not my mom, not you. I ain't got nothing to prove to anybody. But listen, we slip into this. We Listen, moms and dads, you gotta be careful about this. His own mother was trying to get him out of his time. And he's like, woman, ain't my time yet. Okay, Sons and, da- sons and daughters don't have anything to prove to anyone, not even their own moms and dads. And that's where we, as moms and dads, have to allow. Listen, you will never be a great mother and father until you allow the father to help you be a great son and daughter. Because your fathering and mothering come out of the root of your sonship and who the father is in your life. Listen, uh, the Pharisees 
try to get him to prove himself. If you really are, show us a sign. The people in John chapter six, if you really are, do a sign like you did when you fed all the people with all that bread. Okay, Matthew chapter 27, Pilate. I mean, think about this. In the very last moment of his life, we have people trying to get him to prove himself. In fact, can we just look at this very, very quickly? It's just, it's just very, very quick. Matthew chapter 27, verse 11 through 14. Matthew 27, 11 through 14. Here he is on the judgment seat and Pilate, who apparently is the authority of the land. He's the one who controls seemingly the authority to make decisions regarding Jesus's life. And look at the fact that Jesus, first Peter tells us this as well. Jesus was just led like a lamb before the slaughter and he had nothing to prove, nothing to defend. Most of our conflict comes from the fact that we're always trying to defend ourselves, trying to prove our, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant, right? We're just so amped up. You gotta know what I meant. Dude, relax. You don't gotta prove anything. You're a son. I gotta get the last word in. Yeah. No, relax. You do not have to defend yourself. Matthew chapter 27, look at verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, you say so. Because I am, whatever, I'm, no, I'm just kidding, okay, go ahead. <laughs> and, but when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, look at this, he did not answer. I, mean, I, just wanna, I just wanna throw something your way. It is good to forgive. It is godly to forgive. It is biblical to forgive. We must forgive. Forgiveness leads us to life. There is a place in God where you, where you can live unoffendable. There is a place in God. Jesus, think about it. Of all the times that he'd, been, he'd be forgiving, literally like his ministry would be forgiveness. But he got into such a place of sonship and the love of the Father that those things, they just, they literally rolled off. I'm not, I'm not saying Jesus didn't have to forgive. I'm not saying he didn't forgive. I'm saying that we can get to a place where our, our home is so deeply rooted in the love of the Father that there are certain things, they don't even touch us. They don't, the, the offense can't even penetrate. And that happens as a result of maturing ourselves in the love of the Father. Our identity and value is, in, and, then, and then guess what? Not only are you unoffendable, you don't, you, you don't have to prove a thing. Jesus did not say a word. He did not say a word. Then Pilate said, do you not hear the accusations that are coming against you? But he gave them no answer, not even a single charge. All throughout Jesus's life, listen, Jesus was on the cross. And what did that joker say on the, next, on the side of him? What did, what did he say? What did he say? If you really are who you say you are. I mean, from the moment he started his ministry till the moment he took his last breath, all he experienced was people going, are you really the son of God? Are you really? Are you really? Are you really the Messiah? If you really are the Messiah, come down and save all of us. If you could really do, what did Jesus say? You guys, you'll see. You'll see. You'll see. I am my father's son. And it's enough. Hey, listen, and if that ain't Sabbath rest, if it ain't enough to be the son and the daughter of the most high God, something is broken. If it ain't enough to be a son of the king, if it ain't enough if there's something that a microphone or singing a song on stage, if there's something that's inside of you that is not in Sabbath rest, a 